Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast of stalking the night fantastic in a whole new millennia. Gosh, I mean, uh, can I get it on my cell phone? This week we're talking about the changes, uh, the vision, whatever we can come up with, with what we think the Bureau 13, the next edition of Bureau 13 should have. Because it's been through a lot of different editions at this point, and there's different ways of playing it. But if we're going to play it in the 21st century, then there's got to be some changes, and we need to basically get them out on the table so that everybody has a chance to comment on them and to approve them. So that's the main reason what we're doing here, and we're looking forward to doing it. Uh, I've done about 10 talking points, but there's a bunch of other things. So, well, first of all, let's talk about a lot of the aspects of, of the original Bureau 13. So, you know, we were talking about certain things like, for example, uh, the Massacre 77. And one, of the, and, and one of the things that was a catch word for Bureau 13, which has always bothered me, and that is... It says, evil is growing. Okay? Now, when we first did Bureau 13, when it came out in 1983, this was six years, five years, six six years after the Massacre of 77, which for those who are not familiar, the Massacre of 77 is where over 90% of the agents of Bureau 13 were either killed or essentially uh, disappeared. And the Bureau 13 basically collapsed. And there was pretty much no policing, organized policing of the supernatural for like the next 10 years. At which point it reemerged, super secret, you know, with a whole new protocols. And it wasn't the open, you know, you know kind of like America before, you know, uh, 911. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. It was a whole different world in which, you know, they, they had been like, you know, doing things in a pretty loosey-goosey fashion, and now they weren't, okay? And it was partially a result of, of the what had happened, which was never explained. But the point here was is that that word was on the cover of the, of the game, uh, or on the back cover as it was. It was, it was kind of a call to action. It was saying, is it the supernatural, the evil supernatural, not because you know, the, there is good, but the evil supernatural has been running unchecked now for a decade. And it's growing. It's gaining power. And it needs somebody to stand in the breach, to be the, the foot soldier or whatever, the hero, to stand against the evil supernatural and put it back in its place before it destroys the United States and possibly the world. So that made some sense. And not J.P. Withers doing it all by himself. Yeah, J.P. Withers is probably not the person to, to bring balance to the supernatural. Well, the thing is, it ended up falling on the on the shoulders of 
Well, Mr. and Mrs. Joe America, essentially, because the way mm-hmm. that the Bureau had to reformat was, if something happened to you that involved the supernatural and you survived reasonably, physically, and psychologically intact, the Bureau said, we can use you. Here's a lot of money. We're going to train you to deal with this stuff on a full-time basis. Yeah. So the mindset of the Bureau, from what I understand, was in the beginning, it was a lot of police, paramilitary, law enforcement, army, where they were the main people. And now because of the massacre of 77 wiping out or incapacitating a large number of them, the Bureau, having gone deep underground, had to get their replacements from just practically anyone. If you were reasonably competent, they would make you more so, and out in the field you go. Yep. If you weren't, like, just totally stupid and reckless, okay, then you were a possible agent. Yeah, and and that's and, and part of this was probably the start of, of the... Um, the year and a day training stuff. Cause before that, I would say until, and that probably happened in the nineties, I would say, cause before that you would just dis- literally disappear for a year going training. You, you know, I'm going on a mission or something or some vacation or something like that or going someplace. I'm going to Europe, you know, for a year and I'll be back and you'll send postcards of you, you know, and postcards from various places to your friends. They don't know that you really are in sitting in the Bangor, Maine, facility getting trained once you get the year and the day thing then you just take a basically eight hours and you're back well you said that it just started in the 90s and in the 80s is when the bureau reemerged. you know it takes 10 years to build a pocket dimension you know <laughs> it takes a while it does it would take a while to and 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 josie we discussed on a previous podcast and i believe this was when amber was on the podcast that part of banger maine was the year and the day part. Not the entire dimension. It was just oh, no. a certain part that certain. you went through that ex- literally accelerated training. Thing, and we also decided later on that the year and the day thing happens maybe twice a year at best, or maybe four times a year. But otherwise, because otherwise the Bureau would be somewhere like near God. with, with a t- Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So it's some sort of alien device or something like that that creates a time bubble that lasts eight hours in, on the outside, the inside, it lasts a year. So, okay. Also, Bruce, about the massacre of '77. Now, we discussed this previously, and Rich basically okayed it. We have discussed actually what happened. Correct. Right. Right. There is actually a backstory as to what actually happened. Okay, and so you know, it's, it's never actually been released, though we did in fact mention on one of the podcasts what. What had happened? That it was, in fact, um, a, a kind of a civil war within the bureau itself. Yeah, basically, old guards, basically guys who've been had the mindset of the 19th century still, you know, in play. You know, why are we dealing with these mages? Why are we dealing with these supernatural? These are the things we, we got to be locking up or getting rid of. You know, right? Well, we don't really want to go into all that, except you know, to talk about later on as to what is going to be the bureau's attitude going forward. Okay. But let me go back to what I was talking about, and that is, is that now we're ta- we're in the 21st century. Okay, it's been 40 years. Okay, since yeah. the massacre of 77. Is, or is is it 50 years? Like no, 40 years. I did I, I did the math. Two two generations of agents. 
no, not two generations of agents, I wouldn't think, unless, of course, they're, they're, they're getting married real early. No, well, every 20 years, you imagine, it'd be, let's be honest, being an agent in the Bureau, I can't see you going more than 20 years before you retire. It, it's exactly. a continuum. It's not like, a, you know, that we, 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 we go and turn over, you know, we, we take the old agents and, 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 and turn them into the soil and we, we get the new crop of agents coming out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying in terms of it, typically when you talk to these things, it is t- typically two generations. And right. That's usually okay. enough to, you know, to change mindsets and how things are done, especially with the new millennials coming in. Okay. But the point here, yeah. John, that you keep Can interrupting you- me about is the fact that it's been 40 years, okay? So the, so the adage of evil is growing is no longer a call to action. It's basically, you're doing a bad job. It's a criticism, okay? I mean, have we been doing such a bad job that evil continues to grow? I, I would have thought that by now we would have had it under control or at least, you know, uh, you know it's some kind of a, you know, you know, live and let live kind of policy, it shouldn't be getting worse, is what I'm saying, unless yes. there are other factors involved that are not yet that that are not part of the game that haven't been detailed, and they and if it's true, they should be. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's what I'm saying is that some of these things that we've been carrying forward through edition after edition basically need to go away, you know, because they're you know, unless we're going to make them relevant to the new millennia, they're no longer relevant. And nobody cares. Uh, Trav, you said it. It says nobody cares about the massacre of 77 40 years later. Well, this is something that Josie and I discussed yesterday before my show because I brought her up to speak on the subject. There are certain events in our country's history that are generational. For my grandfather, who would probably be in his 90s today, it was... Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. He was alive during that time. There was emotional impact. For you and John, it was the Kennedy assassination. That happened in 63. I was born in 69, so yeah, I know what happened, but I really have no emotional impact for John F. Kennedy being assassinated. For my generation, it was the Challenger explosion. For Josie's generation, being a millennial as the term is, and I know she's not fond of it, but... You're of that you're of that generation. It would be 9/11. To these yeah, new well, well there's actually some difference even in that generation. There's people like me that actually do care about it and what's going on, and then there's people that just don't. Well, I mean, the emotional attachment as far as being alive at the time when it happened. Yeah. And it's also that's the fact that's that you- what I mean. It's also the fact that in some ways you don't understand what life was like before it. Right. That, and that's what I mean. So you got these young agents in their 20s and 30s that are looking and going, and yes, the massacre of 77 happened. Mm-hmm. Not feeling it. Yes, agents died. Yeah, they weren't there. Meanwhile, you've got these people that were alive and and you may even have some agents, you know, the remaining 5 to 10% of the agents that are now running the Bureau who were alive and even participated in that great civil war. They know what it's like. And most probably 99% of the current Bureau agents are like, eh. Uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. It's a meth thing. It's part of the history of the Bureau, but there's there's a detachment. 
Right. He, those those agents, if you know, if they're human, are in their sixties and higher. Yeah. I mean, you're really saying, well, you know, Grandpa, you know, isn't it time for you to, you know, go go stay on the island or something? I mean, it does bring up a point that something that we actually does bring up a point of something we never discuss. How is the bureau managed? I don't think we ever have you ever dis- discussed how the bureau's managed. Who who's basically in charge? Is it some guy from the 19th century still alive? Or is it uh, a cabal of... Cabal, I would probably say correct. I imagine the Bureau is run deep, deep in some secret cabal, star chamber type thing, probably by a group of old generals and politicians who are have just totally detached themselves from society. It's all they do is run... They run the Bureau from some secret place probably in Washington, D.C., and through technology and magic and psi and whatnot, keeping in sparse contact with their agents all over the nation. So Cyborg Strom Thurmond's in charge. Well, just... (laughs) I I didn't want to go there, but I, I see a bunch of old politicians and generals and admirals all meeting in some darkened room and going, okay, we have this particular clan. We've got Matthias Bolt still doing this. We've got the cyberpunks and uh, virus um, 9840. You know, we've got aliens from this sector. Goshnar is cracked up over here again. Yeah, exactly. But, but Goshnar doesn't matter. Goshnar, just, Goshnar shows up, gets killed, and, and time moves on. But, but what I mean is, is that You've got this group of maybe six to 12 old guys, maybe a woman, and they're just coordinating all this stuff. And because they've been, quote unquote, underground for the past 40 years, they're pretty much detached from humanity. Legally, they probably killed themselves off 40 years ago, and they don't even interact with society anymore. And that's who I see runs the Bureau. No one knows who. Your own particular GM could make up who they were if you ever wanted to go that deep. But basically, the person, the people who run the bureau, it's hushed whispers at best. Yeah. So there, there is a potential for uh, some guy who's over a hundred years old still there in that in that case. Oh no, I I can see that either be, either because of magic or technology. Yeah, I could see that many of them have been alive for a long time. I wouldn't say Lafayette C. Baker is one of them boys, but you never know. <laughs> well, actually, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't see him either because he he really was not in favor of using magic for this sort of thing. Maybe if there's some sort of technology keeping him alive, maybe, but not magic. He wouldn't. You would never use magic. Well, yeah, I believe it was either 1884 or 1889 when the Bureau first gained their first witch and alchemist. That's when the Bureau decided to fight fire with fire. So when magic could have been used, or because even aliens came in the, like, 1890s, there was an alien visitation. It's been a while since I've looked at the full Bureau timeline when I had to uh, coordinate it for Bureau 13D20. And there was an alien visitation back in the late 19th century, so alien technology could have been involved to maybe 
provide some type of antigeria for bureau agents and they could be alive today. That or they're growing him a new clone body and sticking his brain in. That too, brain taping or something else, yeah. He looks like he's 40 years old, but he's he's 120 years old. He's more like 140, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking about the new millennia and the new vision for Bureau 13, okay, um, I believe that the head of the Bureau is, in fact, a, uh, a, a self-aware AI. Okay. okay. And in one of my adventures, uh, which was inspired by somebody else's adventure, uh, so I can't really give the, the actual original of it, What we uh, it was a story in which... Uh, a, an angel had fallen to earth and was unconscious and somebody was able to hook the alien's mind into a computer system and because of that you know sapient force of of, of something so primal as an angel the the entire system became self-aware and this and this is very useful for us because it brings in that ethical aspect that we've always said is part of the Bureau. You know, the Bureau 13 has always had that because we said we want the forces of good to be on our side. But if it was also because the primary mover, let us say, uh, you know, the the overarching uh, controller of the Bureau was in fact a uh, semi-aware angel, you know, uh, uh, AI, then that would actually make a lot more sense. What I'm saying is that it has the advantage of, of, of a certain amount of prescience. It has the ability to see outside the human um, limitations of the, the ability to, you know, from a, a historical standpoint, perhaps, able to draw upon, you know, the collective unconsciousness and, and, and the, the, a better known history, the true history of the world that we may be totally unaware of. You know, I mean, these creatures, uh, angels, we figure that they're pretty much on the, you know, aware of what goes on in the world and what has gone on in the world. We, Poor humans are constantly being lied to, and the best we have are the imperfect histories that we've been able to cobble together for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So well, that think- kind of a background, that kind of a of a force behind the bureau, would be able to provide the 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 ethical and moral um, basis that we've always said was in the bureau, and at the same time provide a certain amount of incorruptibility. Uh, from the standpoint of it's not a human, it doesn't care about any of these things. Well, if if you have an AI, first of all, if it's an aware AI, it's going to evolve where it's going to have a non-human mindset anyways. Then the fact that you're adding divinity to it, yeah, that, that adds an, a, yet another extra dimension for it to think outside the human box. Right. But, but un, unlike most uh, depictations of, of AIs, this one, because of its association to, and I am going to be bringing the Christian mythos here, to God and being an angel of God and his commitment to humanity says, I'm just not going to go and replace humanity with something else. I Maybe uh, we want to, you know, and, and, he, and he has a commitment to God's creation, which is the supernatural uh, and Earth and non-supernatural aspects of the world. So all that works together into an, that ecologically oriented point of view that we've always said is part of the Bureau. Yeah. So was it a Cherubim or one of the higher orders? 
It doesn't matter to me, John. Okay, now maybe maybe it matters to other people. In the Catholic, basically, the lower the lower orders are more worried about humanity than the higher. In fact, the higher orders basically don't give a flip about humanity. Then we can assume it's one of the lower orders. Yeah, but even but even, yeah, so he's not going to be called Michael. That's that's all I'm saying. No, no, it's not Michael. Yeah, I, I always assumed that this was like you know, I mean, angels by their very nature are so powerful that. It's 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 ridiculous to the you know anytime it, I mean even in the bureau any version of the bureau it said when the angel shows up you just basically do what the angel says because nobody messes with an angel you know unless you're unless he's facing off against you know a, a greater demon you know the angel basically says hey boys this is the way it's going to go down yeah if, if he is facing against a greater demon get get the popcorn sit back and watch because you can't do anything to help <laughs> and you don't want to be in the middle between those two no you just you just get out of there because if you sit there and watch you're going to be collateral damage right. and so I'm basically for for those who are of a a supernatural bent basically we'll we'll just break it down like this by Bruce's reckoning here the bureau would be run by if somebody uploaded Castiel into a computer. We'll just break it down that way. The early Castiel, not the later, yeah. very, very, <laughs> very dissolute Castiel. Yeah. And that actually is better than my version where the, he's the, where the person in charge of the Bureau is the politically appointed hack by the current president of the United States. But so, yeah. <laughs> but it also works really well because we want to really bring in a lot more technology into the next edition, I believe. Okay, and well, so that, having it be an AI means that this this sort of thing would work a lot better. Yeah. All right. Well, then we could just throw that together, Bruce. It's the Star Chamber using that AI as a council because you want to still have. Yeah, you have this self aware, angelically powered artificial intelligence. You're still going to want that human connection. Yeah, these humans are detached from humanity, but they're still human. So I would say a combination of your and my ideas would probably be the optimal guiding force in the Bureau in this new millennium. A group of humans with the, that angelic AI. Yeah, I actually could see the AI every so often going to one of those humans going, you know, you've been here long enough. It's time for someone else to take your place. And there's a spot waiting for you up in heaven right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't let you go on much longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I, I keep getting the vision at the end of, uh, of Constantine where he's going to heaven and he's giving, he's giving the yeah. devil the finger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, love that. And you still can throw in the the political appointee because you know the, the the for the president to think he actually has some control thing. He has someone he puts in charge. Yeah, he's about as much in charge as you know any political appointee is of any bureaucracy. You know, he just says, "Yeah, okay, just give me reports, and I'll make sure you get budget." Yeah, it's pretty much the president. It's like he just sits there and goes, "Yeah, okay, whatever. As long as our country isn't burning, fine. Go ahead." Pretty much the president is a passenger along for the ride as far as the Bureau is concerned. He's only there for eight years. Right, at, at the most, yeah. At the most. And 
the bureaucracy there forever is not going to have any say in what goes on. That position, yeah, John. That position, pretty much, it's like I said, you're ro- you're along for the ride. It's like a, a a cool roller coaster with neat special effects. Actually, actually, I, I actually that's thing I come up with because be let's be honest, any organization like the bureau would actually have a fairly large bureaucracy. And what we're saying is that ninety percent of that bureaucracy was wiped out in seventy seven. So we have a brand new bureaucracy that was literally formed by the survivors, and they may not have been the guys at the top who formed the new bureaucracy. Well, they are now, yeah, because well, they are all that was left. Yeah, at the time, they probably weren't. They yeah, they were probably all, you know, look, middle management, maybe. Or agents. The, how many? Okay, how much of the maybe bureau was destroyed? Not, at least 90%. Yeah. And like 99% of the top people. So we're talking the guys from office being put in charge. Oh, God. Oh, okay. no. Okay, yeah, like that, uh, yeah, you're talking like, like, pretty much everybody that knew exactly how things were run is gone. Yeah, so you've so got you people these... like, oh, dear God, Michael Scott. Now I, now I want to scream like Steve Carell does. No, dear God, no, please, no. Yeah. I go with the British version myself, but anyway. Okay. Anyways. But see, this also included people who had been out in the trenches, too. There was an infusion of new, you know, of people who actually were, you know, essentially promoted from the ranks. So you had that seasoning going on as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, Josie was just trying to say here that, yeah, you're going to have these middle management people and all of a sudden they're left with, we have to do what? We have to reform the bureau? We have to, wait. Build it from the ground up, actually. Yeah, they have to build it from the ground up. It's like, no, like, okay. like, like, I literally just went through this. Okay, <laughs> all right. I just finished I, training, I, and I got to do what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, like Eric the Enablers. Uh, it's like you figure most of the people that died were either high up because you want to take out the leaders if you're going to take down a group. All right, or they're out in the or they were out in the field. These guys. They don't know exactly how everything was ran, and they definitely, at the time, weren't a, weren't skilled enough to be out and about. So the desk jockeys, yeah, they, they were, they were the desk jockeys. Well, yeah, the thing that's is, why it is took that, ten years. Yeah, yeah they were. They had to. They had to. Um, what learn as they went, so they to speak. Literally had to learn as they went. Trial and error. Okay, this is what Emphasis we think. Emphasis on error. Yeah. Try, well, also that's another reason why they went OJT. super secret underground. Yeah, because. Well, yeah. They couldn't be as open as they were while they were still learning how everything went. Well, let's face it. If you had, if your, if your group just went through basically a civil war, and Bruce and I talked about this, and it was mentioned in Bureau Thirteen Extreme. The shadow works, those are the ones that said, hey, supernatural, there's the door. Now, I think we agreed, and as I said, we talked about the shadow works in this years ago. So this is like season two, season three stuff. The shadow works were the ones that said, okay, Psy, that's a human evolutionary trait. That's fine. That magic icky stuff and having vampires work with us, yeah, they need to go. It was such a fundamental schism that it was brother against brother. There were agents that just said, F this, 
I'm just leaving. And they, they went underground of their own accord. They made a cover identity and they just dropped out of dropped off the grid, so to speak. And so these middle management guys who were basically office jockeys, yeah, they're going to go super secret underground because they don't know if there's still Shadow Works people out there. They didn't want to get taken out if there was Civil War Part Two. If, if, yeah, if you know this happened and you don't know if your uh, enemy is still out there, you're going to hide. Because it could have been anyone. Mm-hmm. If you make your super secret club super secret, you know who's in that club. You know who's in that club, and if anybody else shows up, you know that's that's not friendly. That's what I mean by this current bureau leadership, this cabal, who, as I said, they could work with this angelic AI that Bruce talked about. That's why they detach themselves from humanity. It's paranoia. And the whole thing is, you know, the old saying, you're not paranoid if they it's really are out to get you. Yeah. <laughs> they really are out to get you. I was going to say, and also I noticed is that bureau teams are arranged kind of in, in, in a form of a cell. That is, they may know one other team or maybe two other teams, but they don't know all the teams. Right. That's uh, that's a secret aspect of it. Yes. I mean, they clearly took a page from 1950s um, uh, Cold War uh, sleeper cells and, and such. Well, you can probably imagine. No one knows everything right. except this. Cabal, yeah. Cabal. Well, that's the thing. Um, The 50s Cold War generals, you could probably imagine that maybe one or two of them, I think there might be one or two pre-77 people that were left. Because remember, it was 99% of the Bureau brass. There's still one or two of them left. They might have been the only link to the past that these, these middle management desk jockeys who now have to rebuild the Bureau, there might have been like one or two of them left, and it's like, okay, these 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 old generals and admirals and politicians are going, okay, we have a bunch of desk jockeys here. We are the Bureau. They're young. They think outside the box. We have the experience. We're going to have to work as a team to rebuild this organization. I think there might still be one or two of those old generals and some of them went through the 50s Cold War stuff in that that cabal. Yeah, and at least one of them smokes Morley cigarettes. Okay, I'm sensing a Doctor Strange love. No, 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 not Doctor Strange love. Another franchise that deals with the uh, uh, Federal Bureau of something or another investigation and two agents. It's an X-Files reference. X-Files reference. The Smoking Man smokes them. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think the smoking man would be ex- would be tolerated by the angelic AI. No, no, no. <laughs> oh no, no. He would be oh no, look. We're not in space and you're an air- you're still an airlock accident waiting to happen. Yeah. 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 Um <laughs> I I I do like this concept that we have that this cabal, the current cabal running Bureau 13 had to take up the mantle of the super secret, you know, top brass. And at one time they were paper pushers. I like that idea because they've had to learn that detachment because of the fact that they realize our enemy who were formerly our brethren may still be out there. Oh no, they are definitely still out there. 
And as a matter of fact, that's one of the things that actually was a safety net during those 10 years was the fact that those agents, the ones that were part of the shadow works, became the shadow works. They were out there also policing the supernatural, but not in a way that the Bureau would have, uh, would have agreed about. Yeah, because they were just, it's supernatural. No, we're not going to try to reintegrate it into the environment. Oh, a vampire is out, you know, sucking the blood of uh, uh, drug addicts. We don't care. It's still a vampire. It needs to go. So, yeah, the Shadow Works was a lot more brutal and Machiavellian in their methods of dealing with the supernatural. They had very little compassion if you were not human. Right. But the fact was is that in the case of of many of the, the, the truly bad supernatural, they actually were getting the job done while the Bureau was reforming itself. Yeah. So, yeah, and... And so when, much to their surprise, the Bureau reappears 10 years later, they're just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, we, are, we got this covered. And the Bureau's like, uh, who are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're not in our playbook. Uh, you just need to step aside, you know. <laughs> so It's like, oh, you're them. Yeah, we'll deal with you guys later. We have a job to do. Yeah. So I, I'm saying is that that's one thing that we could include, and, and that's, that's one of my later things, is that we could have adventures where there are competing groups all trying to solve the adventure at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, For their own reasons. So with the Shadowworks, they're basically they're, they're, they more or less become the men in black. Except the men in black are a different group, but yes. Well, I would imagine the Men in Black are actually our splinter group that basically decided to work more openly with, like, the NSA or whatever. You know. Yeah. Well, the Shadow War... Here, here's something I'm, I'm sensing. I don't know if I, this is enough for me to run on a tangent. Do you think it would be bad enough that the Shadow Works would take another crack at the Bureau? Do you think they would go for grudge match or, you know, round two? No, I think that they're strong enough that... You know, it, the only the only it would if it happened, it would be happening on a local basis where a, a bureau team and the and and the shadow works show up uh, to to follow up on the same mission, the same inter, uh, supernatural incident, and they and they and they bump heads and you know to about this. But I mean, they both have the same goal, which is to protect the United States, to protect the people of the United States. So in many ways, you know, they're, they're, you know they, they have a different cascading uh, rule of ethics, but they still do have them. Okay. All so right. it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, well, it'd be, it, it, we, we had fun with this before where they've taken like a Soviet agent and they put it, paired it together with an American agent. And the American agent's all, you know, red, white, and blue. And the Soviet agent's all draconian, you know, and they... And at some point in there, you know, the Soviet uh, agent usually ends up solving a problem that the, 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 the American didn't really want to deal with. And they just kind of go, hmm, <laughs> you have your uses. Yeah. The, the man from Uncle. Yes. The man from Uncle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing I don't. So the so Shadow Works, uh, are they recruiting? Of course they are. All 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 uh, shadow organizations are recruiting. So are they, but are they more are are they but they're not doing the same the same way the bureau does. Are they more like finding individuals they think could be a good match for their mindset and then basically overtly recruiting them? 
you know that that's a good question, John, and I really haven't thought about it. I would think that be, based upon their more draconian point of view, that they would be more will, more interested in going after people who were survivors of some of the more terrible incidents. They might be more willing to pick up the people that the Bureau says, you're just a little too damaged. Maybe we'll come back in 10 years after you've had some chance to heal. They would be there like, I, you want payback? We got you covered. Come on, oh, join. Oh, no. Bruce, oh. my character, Mama Lasagna, based on my, on my boss, Lasagna Knot. Remember how I did her origin? Her family, husband and three daughters, were wiped out by Supernatural. That would have been a frightening thought if the Shadow Works had gotten to her. Somebody whose entire family was slaughtered and she was the only survivor of that. Mm-hmm. If the Shadow Works had got to her and not the Bureau, yeah, that would have she ended up in a very different a very character. terrifying person. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Nikki from the, uh, the Gutter Skype slash Monkey Secret Jetpack. Her character was the victim of a vampire attack that more or less, you know, let's call it what it is. It was a vampire attack slash rape. She would have been a candidate for them as well. Yeah, so I, I, I do like Bruce's idea that the Shadow Works are going to go after people who want payback, people who are generally just not decent people that they are willing to take that extra step into the darkness to take care of problems that concern supernatural menaces. Yeah, and if you go to the source material that we're using, which was written by J.P. Withers, you know, the writer, the guy who's the, yeah. the, the inspiration for the character, J.P. Withers, yeah. these agents have handlers. They are, you know, pretty edgy. They, you know, and, and so they have handlers to make sure that they're staying on the side, the right side of sanity, but on, also on the right side of commitment, so you know they 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 walk a much narrower line. There's a there a there's a much darker life. I mean they they talked about that there's a group of them whose job is primarily to go after things like demons, higher level demons, and other creatures like that. And their retirement plan includes padded rooms. Well, yeah. Okay, they, like they know the, that going in. So. You know, that, it's different than the Bureau. The Bureau, we, we actually believe that, you know, the Bureau, you know, that at some point you can retire and live a, a decent life, you know, when you're basically done with, with being an agent. Yeah. Actually, actually mentioning that about the J.P. Withers, I'm thinking this is one of the few cases where if you ask him, ask J.P. Withers, say, so if someone for Shadowworks were to give you a call, would you go help him? He'd probably just nod his head. You know, they're basically, they're, they're brother agents. They're, they used to be Bureau. They're no, you know, well, at least some of them were Bureau. I could see J.P. Withers responding to calls from both organizations, if need be. Yeah, I see that logically from what I know of the Bureau over the past 20 years of my being involved with TriTac. Yeah, J.P. would be, in, in the words, a double agent. See, I, I don't see that at all, Trav. I see JP basically not – he's basically anathema to the, to the Shadow Works. He had their beliefs, but when it came down to it, he chose to, to stand by the Bureau. Okay. Yeah. He's, his commitment is to Bureau 13 agents. Now, he has their same, I'm willing to go that extra yard – 
you know, it, it says it's, it's, it's okay with him, to, you know, to put a dozen, you know, non-bureau age, non-bureau people in the hospital as a result of saving a bureau 13 life. He has that kind of, you know, focus and, and uh, lack of restraint that we're talking about, but he wasn't willing to stand, you know, stand by them when, when, when push came to shove. And so he's not on their good side at all. I mean, you know, they, I think he would ignore them if they called him. Yeah. Also, I think JP Withers is one of the few people that if you tell a next team, you got to bring him in. They look at you and go, yeah, I quit. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You must mean the other X team. Yeah, yeah. Not yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you're, you're, you're the only one there is. Yeah, yeah. That other X team that follows us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, I forgot to leave something on at home. I got to go. Yeah. yeah. And actually, there's always been a question, because J.P. Withers is more of a force of nature than he is a person. Well, yeah. It comes right down to it. I mean, let's be honest. Is J.P. Withers alive still? Yeah. Or is he or is he alive in the sense of, I mean, basically, everyone's, every description I've read of him says he looks the way he did in 77. Yeah. He doesn't, he's not aged a day. So whatever happened to him in '77 has either made him an immortal, or he's a demigod. Uh, based upon what I've talked with JP about before and other things like that, and this is, and by the way, if you've read the Pilata books, this is not what they say. There's, JP Withers is hundreds of years old, you know, based on, on what Nick Pilata said. But from what JP told me was, is that he is dimensionally stabilized. He is basically. He's basically crystallized. He can't change, and uh, he can't get older. You know, can't get younger. And his greatest curse is the fact that he sees everything for what it really is, and it, it basically it, it's it's driven him mad. Yeah. Functionally mad, but mad. So he is an agent who can legitimately say, if asked. Are you a god? And say yes. He, <laughs> he probably would say no. I'm not a god. Yeah, but in all intents and purposes, he is. Yeah, he can't be killed. It's the the greater powers when they see him walking around. They're just like, okay, just 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 leave him alone. <laughs> I'm just gonna be busy over here. I mean, this is the reason why he gets no stats. Yeah, he yeah right because you if you stat him, then you can fight him, and there's no point yeah. in fighting him. He's yeah. You know, every time that you try to defeat him, he'll just turn around and pull something weird out of somewhere. Yeah. Now we were talking about. Uh, Ray Robertson, yes, Ray Robertson. From, from what we can tell, he actually was. He is actually one of the cabal, the only cabal member we know of. That is true. He was. He's also been around since seventy, since before seventy seven. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's a he's basically the face of the bureau for most people. Yeah, yeah, that could be said. Yeah. And now he's going into semi retirement and letting his. What is his daughter's name? Ramona. Ramona, thank you. And from what I understand, she is a uh, gender-tweaked cl- younger clone of his. From yes. What I'm, from- yes, yes, she is. That's correct. Yeah, so basically he got, uh, he got the uh, female uh, chromosomes from his, from his father somehow and made himself his, himself. His own daughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean his own daughter, you know, who's genetically, you know, correct. Yeah. Because if you try to use his mother's 
Gene, you can have problems. So he, he's smart enough to realize he you know he may have to go dig up old dad if dad was dead to get that Gene. More accurately, he created his own sister and raised her as his daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if what you're saying is true. Yeah, and she may continue the family tradition. So somewhere there's a little vial that contains that little Y chromosome just in case. <laughs> She wants a boy. What, a whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think that as we go in, as we go into the future, those sorts of things are going to become less and less important. Talking about that, about the gener- new generation. One thing I want to say is that all the new recruits have grown up within the bureau's dis- dis- disinformation program. All those all those TV shows we talk about, X Files, you know, Warehouse Thirteen, they're all bureau disinformation programs, and these new agents have grown up with them, so their mindset's completely different from the folks from the sixties and fifties. If you think about it, well, okay, that that would always be true, but what in particular are you referring to, John? After seventy seven, the bureau went whole hog at well making fun. Of the supernatural. Basically, no matter how serious a show is, be it, you know, Hellraiser or whatever, a movie, there's always some element of it that's ridiculous. And the Bureau's operating on the, on the point of, instead of making it look cool, let's make it look ridiculous. And then people will stop. So, And also, there's probably also a, um, a dirty trick squad in the Bureau whose purpose is to, you know, someone reports a UFO... Make his life a living heck or a living hell, and make him look like a fool. Because and more people, the more people think, yeah, I don't report that UFO because people think I'm insane. They've created this program of basically, you know, making fun of the supernatural, making fun of those who say they've seen the supernatural. They've caused it to lose all credibility. Yeah, you know, they popularized it, they sexualized it, they trivialized it. You know, they satirized it. They yeah. they merchandised it. <laughs> okay. Where the real money from the movie is made. So it's like, you know, anytime somebody would say anything, everyone would assume that it was some kind of a publicity stunt. And the reason I, I bring this up because that uh, recent study that showed that most conspiracies don't really can't last very long. The more people involved, the bigger the chance it comes out. So the Bureau probably already knew this. And said, okay, so we let it come out, but it comes out our way. We make fun of it. So, yeah, there's the smoking man in X-Files. There's, you know, uh, the, the cabal that runs the uh, Warehouse 13. There's all these, you know, super secret groups. And, yeah, and people go, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, a secret government agency out there. Hide okay. in plain sight is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it works, it, it, and it, it kind of nullifies the, you know, so when you're sitting down, some retiree writing his great magnum opus of his life in the Bureau, no one would believe it. They think right. it's fiction. Well, oh, see, yeah. keep in mind the fact that the, the very aspect of what we've talked about before, which is all stories are true, actually works against the credibility of the supernatural. Because you end up with such competing stories with such divergent elements that anybody who said, you know, this, none of this, this can't all be true at the same time. It just doesn't work, you know, because th- this would be, you know, there's, they would, their minds basically would say, this doesn't gel. This can't all be happening at the same time. And, you know, their mind would reject it. Yeah, you have these, wait a minute, you have 30 different types of vampires. How? 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and at least the majority of them would basically wipe out mankind in, in less than a century if they let them, let them go. Yeah. We did that on a previous podcast. Why, why vampires have not totally destroyed humanity in Bureau 13. We right. have touched on that in the previous podcast. Um, but yeah, even then, I'm imagining you're going to have some honked off monster going after your bureau team to try to restore its cred. It's like you guys have made a laughing stock of me. They think of me like this. I don't like you. And they, you know, just goes off. You know, you have some werewolf. You know. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, people see a werewolf these days, they think, oh, great cosplay. Or you get some vampire trying to be scary, and it's like, oh, what are you going to do? Sparkle all over me? You know, it's like. We do. We 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 have satirized a lot of supernatural with all these shows, and yeah, I'm just waiting for that one supernatural event. It's like, yeah, he's all cheesed off. Why? We made fun of him on TV. Really? <laughs> That's like, my story, man. Yeah, I don't sparkle. <laughs> but, rem- but remember here that you know the Shadow Works is out there, and if the Shadow Works finds the supernatural, they'll kill it. Yeah. Okay, so the supernatural that does exist is probably very, very well hidden. And it's probably protected as well, either by magic or by people who are uh, sympathetic to it and are, are willing to lie on its behalf and, and, and do whatever to try to keep it safe for those ecologically important reasons that we've mentioned before that some supernatural probably provides a, an important, you know, ecological function that we just don't like, understand because we don't understand how the supernatural and the natural world interact. Yeah. Like, you know, or even like the vampire that's, you know, taking out drug dealers. Yeah. There's people dying of, uh, you know, blood loss. They have their blood drained from them, but yeah, crime is kind of low in this neighborhood. Well, okay. We'll keep him around. Shadow works. Be like, no, he needs to go. So yeah, that it is filling a niche. It may not be part of the quote unquote, natural environment but in the concrete jungle he does provide a much needed service so to speak right so so here's the question how many times has the shadow works beat their head against the person by, by the name of matthias bolt and come back with a bloody stump probably just as many times as uh you can remember they are the same people as Bureau 13. Okay, they just diverged in 77. And Matthias Bolt and the Brotherhood of Darkness Inc. is another group that's out there also involved in the supernatural. A lot of times they're producing the supernatural that, that needs to be dealt with, but sometimes they themselves are competing for artifacts, for creatures of power, for information, you know, whatever. You know, a, a, a creature pops up out of nowhere. Matthias Bolt might very well want to take it under his wing and and you know help it live a productive life, supporting the Brotherhood of Darkness uh, business plan. Oh, great! We need a we need a new HR person in this particular branch. How would you like to join? We have great dental. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm a I'm a lower level demon of the sixth of the sixth rings of hell. What could I do? Oh, let me tell you what you can do. <laughs> HR oh, is is made for you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and just Not read some dog, some, some read some Dilbert, you know, and and, and just 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 channel <laughs> Catbert for a while. <laughs> I forgot all about that particular character. <laughs> or the Phil, the Prince of Insufficient Light. Oh yes, yeah. yes, Phil, absolutely. 
Okay, yeah, see, uh, all, all, the, all you, you need for these things are already exist in other intellectual properties. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm saying, uh, in, in, I think in the new millennium, you're going to have a lot of competing groups who've gotten very good at hiding their actions, and dis- and, and, but also promoting their agenda, all, all very well versed in disinformation and red herrings and leaks. So when you write adventures for Bureau 13 in the new millennia, it's, it should not be at all unexpected that you would run into somebody from a, another agency that you'd have to watch out for. You just can't watch. It isn't just watching out for the local sheriff anymore, you know, uh, or the, the local biker gang or drug dealers whose turf you may be stepping in. You're going to also have to deal with the, all the other covert agencies who are, you know, interested in whatever it is that you're interested in, but for other reasons. And of course, any local, any local coven of good witches, neutral witches, or even uh, witches who are into into it for you know dancing skyclad in the middle of the night, you know there's other supernatural not organizations out there that aren't aren't actually I wouldn't call them organizations they're just call them groups, you know Shadowworks is a group, Brotherhood is, is a group, Spirit is a group is an organization, but you know the the uh, like in the in the book we have the White Witch of Fremont and her coven. They're basically, you know, handling a lot of the mundane supernatural in Seattle, freeing up the team Fremont to do things more important, like you know, dealing with the, uh, with uh, other uh, demons showing up in out the middle, elves showing up in the middle of the forest and basically raising heck all around. So yeah, there's these little groups which are helping or at least not hindering the bureau. As well, I mean, it's amazing how many people know how much supernatural is out there when when it's been so well buried. So it's kind of, getting mages. I think become is becoming rarer these days because you have to literally get them from a family that's been raising, or they or they work for the bureau and they just simply continuing on what dad used to do. There is a constantly renewing group. They're called kitchen witches. Yeah, the internet is a fine place to find all kinds of misinformation and semi-effective spell books and, and, and rituals. And there's always going to be somebody out there who manages to get it just right enough to start getting something going. They would be a good source for people to be brought into any of these agencies and trained properly to become an effective uh, magical uh, practitioner. Yeah, and and occasionally you'll have it, you have somebody busy tearing down an old g- garage someplace, and find a lost supply dump, and wonder what the heck. I mean, they understand the bullets, they understand the weapons and the rations. It's the other stuff they find down there that makes them go scratch their head. What the hey is this stuff? You know the Bane stuff, the other stuff. The, the, you know, especially if, if this was being used by a local team that did magic. There's magic stuff down there too in that supply dump, probably. Sure, there's going to be medicine bags. There's going to be hex bags. There's going to be you know all kinds of uh, paraphernalia for uh, you know ritual uh, cleansings and things like that. It, it's it's going to look like a big pile of uh, crockery and and weird stuff, but it, they'll be there, sure. Yeah, and maybe some bottles of potions that are still effective 40 years later. Yeah. And we don't know what they are, but hey, you can always try one and see what happens. Yes, but are they still effective in what they were intended to do? 
I never said that. <laughs> yeah, in the various Bureau 13 editions, we've had, okay, you found a supply dump that was pre-77. Just how old is it? You're finding papers of, you know, Dewey defeats Truman and 50s comic books there, or you're finding, you know, Confederate-era currency wrapped up in some place in, like, South Carolina that the Bureau used as a uh, supply dump. We've had those charts before where a modern-day person could, you know, be delving around and find a supply dump. It may not have just been there for, like, the past 10 years. It may have been something that was lost due to the massacre and some, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Joe America all of a sudden find a supply dump from 1893. Yeah, most most supply dumps were lost as a result of the massacre of 77. Yes. Yeah, because you had a bunch of retirees. A lot of them were being run by retirees. They're running the the, the business or whatever on top of it. Well, they could be in their 70s, and they just simply died, and no one talked to them, contacted them to fix it up, and they either died or something happened to them. And, yeah, it know. Kids sold off the house, sold off the gas station or whatever, and never realized what was underneath it. Yeah, yeah. What is up there in old old man Schlinger's house here? Wait a minute. What's all this weird stuff? Yeah, yeah. See, a lot of information was destroyed in order to keep it from the shadow works. I mean, there was like destruction occurring on both sides. You know, where they were they were fighting over resources, and a lot of those resources, were, the, the links to those resources, the resources themselves might still exist, but it was lost in the sense that nobody knows, you know, paper was destroyed, maps were destroyed, or, or they were corrupted so that they point to the wrong things intentionally, misinformation, you know, I mean, they were, they, they, they were dropping poison pills on each other right and left. During yeah. the massacre, so yeah, yeah, there was at least one adventure that involved a re, uh, uh, the Californian house that involved a retired bureau agent who had been forgotten. No one knew he was there, and he was basically monitoring a uh, artifact storage. It's called that way, and not spoil the adventure. Artifact storage, and he died. Yeah, and he didn't know, he didn't know how who to tell. Yeah, and, and the, fortunately, it was the bureau who found it. The hard way, but it yeah. could have been any of these other agencies we're talking about too. Oh yeah, can see can see what's down there, and what you guys think about Shadow Works? I can see the Shadow Works when I get a hold of that thing. I can see Matthias Bolt when I get a hold of the thing he was in his storage containment. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We've always kind of done this kind of thing where. You know, the, the agents come in with all the super tech and the monsters kind of like, you know, just kind of dropped in out of, you know, uh, you know, out of a movie or something like that where, you know, I don't know anything about anything. And I'm, and I, and I'm going to attack you, you know, with my claws and, you know, and, and, and I'm dead. OK, you know, now, you know, it, the, the supernatural is going to be a lot more savvy about protecting itself. It's going to be wearing body armor. It's going to have its own weapons. It's going to use traps, and, and it, like I said, it's going to probably have helpers and other people who will also be well-equipped with modern ordinances and, and uh, weaponry and tactics. So it's, a lot, you know, it, it's going to be a lot harder to, you know, to dig out some of these supernatural instances than before because you know, they're, they're, we always said before that the biggest asset that the Bureau had was the fact that nobody believed in it. I think that's going to pass away. 
I think that the supernatural is going to be expecting somebody to come looking for it, and it's going to be better prepared for it. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.